This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In Dublin, welcome and ho 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 to Motherfucklore, a podcast of words, Irish, Irish words, <laughs> and words oh, from Ireland. From Ireland. <laughs> I'm Dark O'Shea. I'm Geraldine McAvoy. And I'm Pather O'Quivonic. And we are all delighted to have you here for this, our end of year Christmas Nolug uh, Offline uh, special. Yeah, end of decade. Woo-hoo. It's the end of a decade. Yeah, class. End of an era. It's, yeah, kind of. Is it the end of an era? Is this how you, is this how you break up with this podcast, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's the end of an era, but which is the tens. A very interesting era in Irish history. Yeah, it has been a good. It's been a good ten years. Um, I've enjoyed it. I was like eighteen at the start of the decade. Um, got the shift New Year's Eve. Very, very pleased with that um and probably haven't gotten the shift on new year's eve since <laughs> but i'm very happily in a relationship and we don't tend to spend new year's eve together so that's why <laughs> sure that, that'll all change oh god now. wait new year's eve 2009 so new oh year's, yeah i yeah. got the shift and, I, and then i married her oh that's cute oh wow. that's lovely that was our first date no <gasps> get down yeah oh my god why isn't this the topic yeah. of the episode <laughs> <laughs> That was that was my uh, that was my ballsiest move ever. I asked a girl on her first date at uh, New Year's Eve. Oh, that is real ballsy because you know you're guaranteed the shift. Like, well, no, it was more like more like you can't you can't let someone down on New Year's Eve. You have to have a really special date planned for New Year's Eve. Oh yeah, yeah. I was gonna say you absolutely fucking can. Like, <laughs> 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 oh, that's nice though. And yeah, so you got the shift. Uh, did you get the shift New Year's Eve 2009, 2010? 2009, as a matter of fact, I was coming to the end of a very of a long relationship. And we broke up in early 2010. Okay. And yeah, things generally got better oh, after yeah. that. It was yeah. a, it was a yeah, it was a situation. I bear this person no ill will, but we were. I think we we're both got much happier, much quick, more quickly. Uh, even though breakups are never pleasant. Yeah, they're no crack. But you look at you now, and you two lovely babbies and a lovely two wife. lovely babbies, lovely wife, lovely house, lovely car, lovely podcast, lovely podcast, <laughs> lovely podcast family. <laughs> and yeah, Lo- lovely mortgage. Oh, don't actually, you know, <laughs> it's better than rent. If yeah, we, sorry, n- neither of you get <laughs> yeah, to be yeah, like, yeah, oh, our mortgage, true. like, get that's the true. fuck, like. No, no if, if, yeah, if we were renting in the same place where we're paying a mortgage for, it would be significantly more, and it's horrifyingly more. 
Yeah, you'd have had to emigrate with me. <laughs> Fun times. No, I've had a good 10 years. I've, I'm ha- contrary to what people might think. I'm actually happy to have been uh, to have emigrated. Um, that's class. And I can promise you the weather is fucking better where I live now than it is here. It's piss and rain in Dublin and I fucking hate it. It's awful. And it's it's not as bad. It's, it's in, in, in Fionlán, it's, it's nicer than this. Um, It's currently raining, but like they don't get wind like so. Like they can't cope. It was windy like last week. It was windy and like two degrees and it was like mm-hmm. death. It was like an awful. I was like, I'm so glad this country is not go is not windy because mm-hmm. no one would live here. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's a different kind of cold, isn't it? In the Nordic countries and yeah, Scandinavia, absolutely. like basically Northern Europe. It's just a different kind of more wholesome cold. It's that nice dry cold yeah. that makes you feel good to be alive as opposed to Dublin where it's that wet cold. Yeah, that just gets into your bones yeah. and you just sort of go, why, why does my bone marrow feel damp? It's like when it rains in Ireland and the rain is really cold, it's it's like the raindrops have been watching you and learning your weaknesses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've developed <like>, sentience. <laughs> <laughs> Clever girl. Um, yeah, no, it's awful. It's much nicer. The coldness there is much nicer, much more tolerable. And also, I dre- like I literally, I have like a good proper winter coat and winter boots that I didn't bring home with me because I was like I'll be grand in Ireland like I won't be like but something about the psyche when I come home I'm just like god is it raining I'm very surprised about that development like it rained every day for the past 28 years of my life like there's no reason why I wouldn't expect rain but I don't a jumper sure what would I need a jumper for a leash <laughs> tropical leash <laughs> sure have me a well insulated house and it's lit there's mold on the inside of the house like so I was just looking back over this this crazy old decade that we've just had, and I was thinking about these, how the Irish language and social media, two recurring themes on this podcast, have you know played a role in shaping the the decade in Ireland and the world. Uh, more on, and I think it, it seemed to start in 2011. The hashtag Aris11 was one of the first times we realized that rather than saying presidential election or anything like that. I think that this seems to be the this seems to be the opening shot for the decade of the, of this overlap between Irish Twitter as a subculture, something Heidi Moore has written about extensively, and how the Irish language has been for all its divisions, for all its confusing uh, genitive cases and things. The fact is that it, it it's a shared memory that that connects to our sense of humor, and it's a part of our civic life. And it seemed to start. I I, I identify the first point of this. As RS11, would do you either of you have an earlier point than that? I don't remember. So I wasn't on Twitter back then. Is 2011 or 2010 the first year of the decade? 2010, first year of the decade. 2010. Because yeah. that was when I remember the Irish language hitting social media with a storm, if you'll pardon the pun. Hashtag Schnatter. Oh, uh, yes, yeah. the 2010 snow. Yeah. That was when people, they, they just went like, and instead of saying hashtag it's snowing or hashtag big snowstorm, just as a collective consciousness, we as a nation decided, hashtag Schnachta, that'll be easy to find because hashtag snow, sure the fucking Finns have snow. <laughs> They'll be talking about hashtag snow. You know, but hashtag Schnachta, that's ours. That's that's us. That belongs to us. And the winter, we own that. The winter of the big snow was the winter of the Irish Robinson story, which you've discussed before. Oh, yes. <laughs> was that the same year? I remember that. That was, <laughs> that was, wasn't there like a BBC news night or something, uh, expose, and it was just like peak television. Like, I loved it. It's I loved sh- it so much. Again, like people, think stories didn't go viral the same way. You didn't have a, 
a news culture of this was viral on the internet last night. Yeah. But the same thing, but everyone was talking about this. Oh my God. It was a story. It had everything. First of all, everyone was frozen. Everyone was inside. No one was going out. People were watching the news yeah. night. You had a range of characters. You had a you had a disgruntled assistant called Selwyn Black. What? Great, great name. Yes. Totally a fictional name. Absolutely made up. <laughs> but <laughs> Selwyn Black. And he was now he's he had been in the RAF and he had been he had been a a, a a chaplain in the RAF and he had also specialized in he had done research psych, psychology research in the in the psychology of orphans and war zones and he so he, when he was in the RAF he was involved in some work in the former Yugoslavia Lads. and I was thinking that's fairly that's a significant qualifications for, for the assistant of Iris Robinson <laughs> who you know um, he he came to uh, disagreements with. So I just okay. Here's what I want for the next decade. I want mm. I want RT to commission you to do a dramatic retelling on radio of the that story because I did not know that part of it. Oh my god, that's so interesting. <laughs> why don't come? Why don't I do a a short serial type? Yes. I, I, yes. A, a, a little ten part episode on the Iris Robinson scandal. <laughs> yeah. Coming for the next of all of those serious podcasts, like. But I think I think the thing is you should be, you should just go on go on TG Carr's scandal as a as a, as a talking head. Yes. It's it's been one of the real finds of of the decade. TG Carr's uh, sort of view askew their Sulella at the scandals that made up Irish life over the last God knows how many years, they go back, like they go back uh, way, way back into the past, but they've been an absolute joy to watch over the last 10 years. They're absolutely class. It's a short series every year, but um, funnily enough, we have enough scandals to keep them coming back <laughs> and they'll be back again in 2020 with yes, more scandals. they will. <laughs> August and Shin v. Iris, <laughs> August Kirk McCombley, a bula crack in our nose in the No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, cancelled. Oh. <laughs> That's a very a dirt sheep. Stop it! <laughs> Neil, yeah. Neil, ta, ta. Iris Robinson, she the one that left her husband and ran off with a young fly. That's a Twitter joke if but I the, ever heard. But there's a, there's a there was a twist in the story. Extremely <laughs> online. The young fella who was involved with her, he was he wanted to end things after he gotten his own cafe out of her, uh, the contract for the cafe, and he started pretending that he had erectile dysfunction. But he didn't. Oh, it's, is that real? Is that true? Apparently, it was. It came Apparently. out of stories. <laughs> I remember reading at the time, saying, "Hang on, how do you pretend?" You know, you, you like. Oh, was he nineteen? Yeah. Was he nineteen? Yeah, he's young. Behold, like, <laughs> what's the opposite of erectile dysfunction? Like, what is the? Because that's what a teenager yeah. has. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's just okay. Yeah, erectile overfunction. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> A poor lad, like he's yeah, nineteen he's, years of age, like yeah. you know what I mean. Like nineteen-year-olds are excited by drain pipes and buses. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, he's, no, on a, he's on a bus <laughs> unless, on a, unless he actually has a serious medical condition. There's no way that thing is dysfunctional. He's on a bus on the way to work. He sees a shampoo ad but poster on the wall. He's like, oh, oh no, oh god, a yeah, a Oh Oh wow! Okay, this has become the dramatic retelling of the oh, Iris Robinson story. And then, but the funny thing was, I remember at the time people were saying, "How did your man?" Because when 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 Selwyn Black went to Newsnight, he said, "I have over, I have over six hundred text messages from Iris in which we discuss these things." And people were saying, "What?" But this is the first thing iPhones kept all these messages in yeah, conversations, yeah, yeah. and this is one of the first times that iPhones and screen grabs, something that became very important this decade, started playing a part in the. Scandal and political discussions. 
Yeah, and you could you could no longer use the excuse of oh I didn't mean to send that to you. Like you could no longer use that excuse because you you yeah. I mean you there's no way you made that mistake of sending that message yeah. to your mom when it was in yeah. your mom's message. Like that that excuse was gone in 2010. Two little ticks underneath the message. Yeah. It's been seen. Yeah. <gasps> Life ruined. Oh, God. You don't want to leave someone unseen as well. That's what happened this and, decade. And isn't it interesting? We became far more connected, didn't we, this decade? Like, way too connected. Yeah. Like, I know if you've read my message or not. Whereas <laughs> prior to that, like 11, 12 years ago, the best I could get was a delivery report, which, like, I know it reached his phone. <laughs> those I don't know if he read it. Those delivery reports are fucking shite. Sorry. <laughs> I'm but like it's it, we have become more connected in a sense like and that's for somebody that has lived abroad for the, a lot of the last 10 years here and there um, it's been nice but also it's been like now I know my mom is just ignoring my message I'm, I text her and I'll be like hey how's everything like just checking in and she just fucking replies with like one emoji and that's it like, that's all I get off my mom like so in a sense yes more connected but also more roasted by my mom so that's not been great. Sometimes my mom sends me just the, the crying, laughing uh, emojis, two of them. And it's like, well, does this mean that there's two people crying, laughing? Just out of nowhere, like? No, she'd be replied to something okay. I said or, or, or mentioning that a meme she just sent me was funny. Oh, oh, my mom doesn't send memes. Thank God. Like, I think I got away light with that one, like, because she doesn't send me memes, like, thankfully. My dad, my dad sends me memes. He was very, he's a very, very late adopter of uh, internet and communication technology. But uh, he's, he's leaped into it now with both feet and he's constantly sending me memes. Oh, like, God. he sent me one the other day. It was like, um, be careful if you, if you get a message uh, that says, an, that, uh, an attachment that says uh, Ronan Keating singing Christmas carols. Whatever you do, don't open it. It contains Ronan Keating singing Christmas carols. <laughs> oh, well done. Oh, well done, Dad. That's that's very good because that plays on the insecurity I have about you downloading shit to your phone that you don't mean to. So, well, yeah, touche. Well done. Tip the cap to you. Was it you today that I saw a tweet where you were like, at the start of the, the decade, you were like, your parents were like suspicious about the internet and then they're sending you like oh those. yeah yeah so basically like in the last decade my mom would be like it's more 20 years ago than 10 oh, yeah. years ago but it's like my mom would be like now don't don't go believe in things you see on the internet now it's full of con men and scam artists and like and now i can't stop getting messages off her on the internet saying like uh, oh, be careful facebook are going to steal all your data if you don't paste this message and i read it on the news that there's a new thing called whatsapp gold and it's a virus and it's like you have not read that on the news you got that from your friend and you've sent it on to me. Yeah. You are doing the 2019 version of a chain email <laughs> and I need you to stop it. Lads, do you remember chain letters? I remember getting one of those in the post from my friend who lived literally three doors away. Like I could see her fucking house like and she sent me a chain letter that I had to send on. <laughs> I had to manually copy it out and send it to people and I didn't. And I didn't die there after. So yeah. it was grand. I never showed up in the Guinness Book of World Records. Like still fucking sorry about that. Yeah, those, it was a bad time. It was a bad, bad time. But then we entered to this and we got text messages yeah. and we got chain messages did, did you did you ever have a did I use ever have a pen pal no I always wanted one but I never had one I didn't I, know how to go about getting one like I had a friend exchange who was yeah. briefly a pen pal of sorts now we just call them catfish don't we are they just catfish now uh that's the 2019 equivalent of a pen pal (laughs) I'd say possibly yes possibly yes you know yourself now with with the internet now you've got your friends you you have your your friend in France and your friend in Australia who be talking about things you know it's a but yeah but um, it's it's, It's one of those things though that like we're more connected than ever but really 
many of us are more isolated than ever before, you know, because if you don't have those circles of friends, like, like pen pals and things like, there used to be ads for pen pals in the back of Ireland's own, you know, the, the, you know, the magazine. Yeah. And they'd all be looking for people to write to them, you know, gentleman lives alone, top of a mountain, would like to speak to so on and so forth. Like, you know, not, not, not the personal ads, they're still there, but there were ads looking for pen pals. And, uh, you know, that's gone now because we're all of the internet. But yeah. like, if you don't have that circle of friends to speak to, you know, I don't know. Can you can you actually meet strangers on the internet, like, without them showing them your penis, uh, you know, showing you their penis? I've met strangers like, from the internet. I've met some friends from Twitter. Uh, Claire Murray, who was on the show, I've met her. She's a good friend of mine now. Um, and we've met several times since and then we always try to meet. But mm. I've also met some, like, weirdos in real life on the internet. And I was mm. like, wow, let's meet. I, like, thankfully decided to meet in a brightly lit area because I'm not stupid. But then also immediately when I arrived there I was like this is a bad idea like I thought we were going to talk about whatever and then you just want to show me your penis like <laughs> but I do remember in the early part of this decade there were things called tweet ups and there was one or two young ones who used to run tweet ups in Dublin and then oh this, like meet ups yeah Twitter. it was a meet up yes, for Twitter and then this is and in a weird way this kind of got phased out partly because the people who were involved in it you know they finally scored and uh, <laughs> didn't need to meet new people anymore but then this I'd say the tweet up was largely kind of uh fully killed off and fully replaced by the public guilt act. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe. <laughs> uh, I did try and organise a tweet up Pasquale one time, long before Oscar and I had the idea of the public guilt act. So we put it out on Twitter and the Ireland account retweeted it and loads of people saw it. And we said, we're going to meet up in the Black Sheep on Cable Street. If you have a couple of fuckle, come down for a drink. And it was me, Unamin uh, Kvevanok and Scott the Butler. And that was it. Three of us. Oscar didn't even go. Oh, class, my God. Because like. they're, they're lovely. It was class because they're absolutely lovely. And they're still very, very dear friends. Um, but, yeah, it was an absolute disaster. And when Oscar and I were, you know, trying to think of what, what kind of shape we'd put on Pop-Up Gweltuk, I had totally forgotten about this. I had suppressed this memory <laughs> of the abortive tweet-up, Oscar because like the tweet ups us barely, they were they were very successful because there was a lot of people coming from a culture of using PHPBB message boards in college, and they used to have meetups, and so people were coming straight into that culture where like boards.ie would have a meetup. So why not do a tweet up and meet your Twitter friends as well? Uh, so they were very successful, and there were loads of people at, at those. But uh, no, the Irish language one, there there were three of us. A fourth person did come along briefly for a half an hour on our way to the cinema and we were very glad for the addition to the conversation that she made um, but basically there were three of us there for the whole night and um, thankfully they were lovely and I just you know we just got slammed um, but uh, yeah when Papa Quelta came up I had totally suppressed that I had no memory of it I was reminded of it many 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 months later Oh wow <laughs> what you really needed for the tweet up was some dick uh, saying that the Irish language is a dead language on a stupid video and then then I, I would have made it my fucking business to rock up there and in a way <laughs> when we when we start when we started this podcast I made a point not to mention that particular moment but in a way that man that 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 journalist that music what journalist, man what journalist who are you talking about I don't uh, know who that is. He, that person may have actually made a huge contribution to electrifying and enlarging the Irish language community by having us find each other by saying, hey, I agree with that person. What that person's saying by say, pointing out the flaws in this video. What would you say, Patter? Would you agree with me? Um, let's put it this way. If, if such a video hadn't existed, um, myself and a few friends wouldn't have gone looking for a right of reply to it. And that was basically the genesis of Pop-Up Well. Like, that was the whole... 
point of it. So by saying that it was a dead language, we went looking to give an answer to that. Uh, we didn't get right of reply. So we said, you know what, fuck it, let's just have a point and show that it's not a dead language. And so far, there have been Papakwetakti in just about 100 countries, um, nearly um, uh, oh, five continents, thousands and thousands of people here in Ireland. Um, like, we're coming up on, Jesus, 36, 37, 37 Papakwetaks by the time this episode is broadcast here in Dublin alone. So yeah, it's been uh, it's it's been a ride. Hey, thanks a million, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it was one of the greatest self owens in journalism of the decade. But yeah, and this has happened around this. This the, the public guilty was kicking off around the same time I was starting out with the Irish Four. Was it? Yeah. Oh my god! Because when I got to Twitter, I I mean I think I was on Twitter a while, but I like, didn't sort of do anything with it, and then started using Twitter probably about the time I got involved in. Um, uh, reproductive justice activism um, and it was a vehicle for that and then you guys were just already there so I was mm. just like oh I just assumed they like grew up with Twitter like I didn't realise you were that like <laughs> recent in addition to it I just sort of I took form around the same time I took my current form around the same time Twitter was invented we were sort of we're symbiotic beings <laughs> I'm the remora fish on the great Twitter shark just picking up the scraps you know, I, I had gotten just started getting into Twitter. I had to move because of the the, the civil service decentralization scheme. I had to move out of Dublin for a bit. Oh my god, to, the horror! Where yeah. to? Tullamore or some shit like Wicklow Town. Okay, that's not out of Dublin. That's Wicklow. <laughs> oh my god, that is the most jacking thing I've ever heard. I just moved out of Dublin. I moved to Wicklow. <laughs> this is this isn't like Greystones or Bray. This is it's Wicklow Town. <laughs> this is it, but uh, but um, well, I moved. I. In the process of moving out, you know, and I was I was there. Maybe I, I didn't know a lot of people, and I guess I, I I found I found myself dipping into this Twitter thing a bit more. I remember one day I was asking someone what hashtag FF meant. Well, why were people talking about Fianna Fáil? But it was back then they used to have thing called Follow Friday. Oh my god! Where you'd recommend? People. Oh my god! Yeah, I hate that. You remember that Follow Friday where you could recommend good Twitter accounts to follow? That was great. And there was also hashtag CT Charity Tuesday. On Tuesday, you'd recommend your your favorite charities Twitter accounts to follow. And on, t- on ter- Thursdays, there was a throwback Thursday, wasn't there? That's, is that on an Instagram thing? Yeah, hashtag TT, throwback yeah. Thursday. But I, th- I think that that maybe probably is more recent. But this is like, but Twitter has changed so much. It used to be all about these hashtag games. The, hash- the Vincent Brown hashtag was where all the shit was kicking off back in the early part Love of the decade. That. Hashtag Vin B. And people would just put hashtag Vin B in things that weren't even related to the show. I'm going to have a confession here at the end of the decade. I've never watched an episode of Vincent Brown. Yeah, I know it's too fucking late now, like, but like, I never watched an episode of it. I don't know why. I feel like I would have loved it. Like, I've seen some of the clips for it. There's a clip of Stephen Donnelly on Vincent Brown that I need directly hooked into my veins. Like, it is just mm, chef's kiss. Wonderful, wonderful, hard hitting journalism. I adore it. It's fantastic, and I don't know why I never watched him. I would have enjoyed him. I feel. It's funny because I remember that the, this I was house sharing the time with a politics lecture and some of her politics lecture friends were over and they were saying that the standard of discussion and tutorials had dropped since Vincent Brown became popular because people just shouted, you're the elites at each other. And oh no, did Vincent Brown start that? <laughs> yeah. Did he start the elite thing? Was that Vincent Brown? This is elite. So he, and, and, it was, and, and he should, that Soros wasn't mentioned so much at the time, oh. but the idea was, and I thought, oh, I'm sure a political discussion will, will maintain a good high standard, especially in universities, wow. especially outside. And I'm sure nothing in this decade is going to happen that is a direct result of a drop in the standard of discourse because of social media and Vincent Brown. Wow. Show. Wow. And. 
Wow. So basically, you're saying that Vin- Vincent Brown is responsible for the decline of European and American society as we've seen it. Well, he'd say it about you. <laughs> I think he did say it about me on an episode once. Did he? Uh-huh. Have you been no, on I it? Sorry, I've been on Vincent Brown a few times. He's um, he's he's a terrier. Like he's. I remember one time I was sitting on a on a panel uh, on Vincent Brown and. Uh, just before we went live, just before we went live, he found out that the young woman beside me, a very young woman in her early 20s, that she was not only a member of Fianna Fáil, but she was a member of the national executive of Fianna Fáil. So instead of coming to all of us with questions, he just spent the whole panel discussion going, you're a young woman, why would you do that? Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you join them? I mean, and, uh, where that, is that the was lie? That was, that was the panel debate. Where is the lie? <laughs> like... oh, oh, I always <laughs> I'm remember. not saying he was wrong. <laughs> I'm saying it ruined the television show for me. I remember once the, 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 the Sunday Tribune used to have a thing on the back page where they'd have people write about their hero. And every week it would often be Bob Geldof or, or Aang San Suu Kyi, both of whom stock has dropped <laughs> since then. And then. One considerably more than the other. Like, let's not put them in the same boat. Yeah, Bob Geldof is way worse. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, uh, I'm what, kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. And, and, for Bob. So the idea is that people had to say something nice about about you know someone they liked. But Vincent Brown, like, he he spent the whole time, his whole article giving out about about Jared Collins, the former Finnful foreign minister, and he just the last paragraph was, and then this guy, you know, basically told him to feck off during a debate, and that's why he's my hero. I was like, he, he, did, he didn't discuss the <laughs> Love that. he didn't discuss the guy at all. He just spent the whole time giving out about Jerry Collins, who's. Um, who took an awful lot of personal credit for the release of Brian Keenan. So, uh, Vincent Brown, messy bitch. Vincent Brown. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't got anything nice to say about anyone, come sit next to Vincent yes, Brown. Yes, God. This week's episode of Mother Folklore is sponsored by Forest Nagoelga, and we'd love to tell you more about them and the work they do. Forest Nagoelga promotes both Irish language and traditional arts, as well as Irish language learning and culture. This includes the arts sector, festivals, theatre, training workshops, publications and cultural events. Their work is done on an all-island and international basis by adopting and implementing funding schemes. Forest Nagelga provides various supports in the arts sector, including the festivals and drama company schemes. The Calm Kill Grant scheme aims to foster interaction and cooperation between speakers of Irish and speakers of Scots Gaelic, and to strengthen the two language communities. For more Irish language activities and resources, check out the newly redesigned Gaelga.ie that just relaunched this week. Forest Nagwelga, celebrating 20 years. Isi our Janga Haini. It's our language. So, um, yeah, fun decade. Then the middle of the decade was very interesting. Was it? No, yeah. 2015, yeah, we had a good year. 2015 legalised uh, same-sex marriage. was wonderful. Yeah, I flew home to vote for that. It was very sweet, very twee. Loved that. Yeah, and that's the thing. Home to vote was, it highlighted the fact that the lack of postal votes for emigrants and the lack of an emigrant vote yeah. in Ireland is, a, you know, it's a thing. And it's interesting to see that the elections which haven't had a large home to vote contingent, such as the, the, the 2018 presidential election. Yeah. And the blasphemy referendum. That did, was the same day, did wasn't not, it? Yeah, did not yeah. have a home-to-vote contingent and people were surprised by how large the yeah. uh, the dissenting uh, rightward vote was. Yeah, it was. And it's still, as somebody now who lives abroad and they're currently talking about an election and I'm going to have to, because I, I, 
I'm one of those people who I have flown home to vote like for things that weren't like massive, like there was wasn't massive home to vote movements. Um, I, I'm still entitled to my vote just in case anyone from the <laughs> uh, voting office is listening to me. Like I still I have been home and back, so I still have a right to vote. Um, but uh, I'll have to fly home to vote in the general election. And kind of a part of me is like, oh, I fucking don't want it because they're all shit. But then also I, I will still do it. But like it's a disaster that like from living abroad now I can see it that it's really weird that we don't have a right to vote when we're abroad like because there are so yeah. many people are living abroad that wouldn't care enough to vote I mean it's hard enough to get people to vote when they're literally live next door to the polling station mm. like you know you're not going to take the trip to the this, the embassy in I don't know Stockholm or wherever um, just to get a vote like so I don't I, it's just weird it's a weird thing that I think people are only becoming aware of since 2015 when we had that that referendum that so many people came home to vote and it, yeah. it became an issue there was um there's a couple of things that come out of that like out of that 2015 referendum on the home to vote thing like I find it so weird and and kind of sinister actually that one of the reasons that our establishment parties kind of they don't want to allow the vote for uh, the diaspora for citizens living abroad is that they're worried what way they'll vote like you can't let all the all the plastic patties in America have the vote they'll make Jerry Adams president it's like lads there's no such thing as part-time citizenship like you gave mm. them the passports like you set the rules you know there are kids born here who can't have yeah. citizenship, who get deportation orders. You made the fucking bed. You have to lie in it. If you want to value, you know, uh, John from Baltimore, whose grandfather left at the age of three days to go over to the States, if you want to value that higher than a kid who's been born and raised here and lives here their entire life, then I'm afraid you're going to have to deal with the consequences of that. And John is entitled to a vote. Like, he's a citizen. Um, it's just, it's ridiculous that they would do that. And the other thing... The other thing that uh, that came out of that uh, home to vote and, and, you know, home to vote uh, in 2015 for marriage equality and for repeal was it did sort of, it did give these uh, sort of privileged middle class liberals this idea like, oh, wasn't it brilliant? Wasn't it so uplifting? Can we have another referendum? What's the next human rights issue mm. we can have a referendum on without any sort of consciousness of how difficult it was for the people actually affected by these constitutional amendments uh, to to put themselves out there in front of everyone. Like it was no easy thing for the LGBTQ plus community to go out and basically ask us all for permission yep. to have a basic human right, like getting a civil marriage. And it was definitely not easy for women who had had abortions or had been affected by abortion to come out and tell their story on, on either side of the debate. It wasn't easy for anyone with a genuine story to tell it. And it's kind of like, you know, oh, great. Now let's have a referendum up the north. You know, let's do it up there again now. Let's get abortion in the north. Let's do another referendum. We can win another referendum. And it's going like, lads, we don't need a referendum up the north, as has been shown by the legislative change up there. And can you just cool it on the hard on for referendums for a bit? Because right. this is really difficult on the people that are affected by it. Exactly. Mm. And I've seen there's been a lot of like they got the government got like referendum fever because they saw how many people were like flying home and like getting involved and getting polit politically motivated. Yeah, because you've been fucking violating human rights for the past however long, you dicks. Like this is not this is not a savvy mm. political move like and exactly yeah. like that. They've been trying to put like enshrining shit about like, oh, I'm so angry about this. Uh, shit about uh, insurance into the Constitution. Like, oh my God, let's have a referendum to stop putting stupid shit into the Constitution. And then we don't have to have referendums every fucking five years. Jesus Christ. 
so yeah. angry about this. Oh, it's way more often than that. I know. It's even more often since, like, every time there's a ch- the, like an EU change, we have to have a stupid referendum that we absolutely don't have to have. That's a different story for a different podcast episode. But, like, so annoyed about, like... Sometimes we have to have them twice. But in a way, though, the, okay, the, having... The, three times for divorce. Sorry, three times for divorce. Having the referendum twice uh, for, for Nice and for Lisbon, that was something that trickled into this decade. It did... It did lead to a change in referendum culture, and particularly the Constitutional Convention and things like that, which if they had been in place, possibly in a neighboring jurisdiction, which you know can't really handle a referendum. They just they just can't do it. They just, you know, it's uh, it's just too much excitement. <laughs> OK, or too much racism. <laughs> it's one or the other. Like, <laughs> <laughs> too, yeah, just, I think they find racism very exciting. Oh, yeah. yeah, they do. Like, oh, man, I'm so annoyed about that. I, I just... I think there's a different, yeah, a different, because we, we sort of have an understanding about like how referenda work. Like, mm-hmm. like if you don't get it this time, maybe you could do it again in 35 years or or six months, like depending on like how quickly Europe is watching us. Whereas I think perhaps over the water, they didn't realize that they could just do it again, you know? Yeah. You know, give it a second go till you get the right answer. Maybe even a third go if mm. needs be. The one, the one thing I do like about how we do referendums here is like we we don't have an electoral commission here which is a big problem so we don't have anybody policing elections uh, not that it did much good in the UK where like 88% of one side's advertisements on Facebook were untrue mm. and they still won um, but we do have a referendum commission here so we have very strict laws around referendums and you know the whole constitutional amendment has to be put down on the ballot paper now a lot of people say oh that's very confusing it's very confusing but like to be fair, I would prefer that. I would prefer to read the actual article that's being taken out or the changes that are being made than to have something as simple as, do you think that the UK should leave the European Union? Click yes or no now. <laughs> and like absolutely no detail as to what that's going to look like because we still don't know what that's going to look like. And we still have gobshites talking about deals and no deals and trying to write laws that can't possibly be written yeah. to try and you know move borders and move mountains. And it's, it's an absolute shit show simply because the public voted for a concept as opposed to voting for a legislative change, which is what we do in this country. But then they voted for a big, massive racist. So, like, my sympathy is limited. Oh. Ah, well, yeah, there's that as well. <laughs> I, like, I have... didn't even, he didn't win the popular vote. Like, he didn't win the popular vote. <laughs> I there have... are more people who didn't vote for a big racist dickhead than who did vote for a big yeah, racist dickhead. True. And unfortunately, they have a very shitty parliamentary system. Yeah, that's what I was so going to say. he has a brilliant so majority. For the next 10 years, the, the UK could work on two things. First, as I've said many, many times, writing down their constitution. Just write it down, lads, you know? Yeah. Write it fucking down. And then um, maybe operating um, single transferable vote because, you know, they knew the result of the election, like, by the next morning, like, definitively, no crack at all. Yeah. Absolutely zero crack. Where is where is the 19th count in some constituency you've never heard of? And then a recount. And then you have, you know, that seat's not been filled and everybody else in the MEP, uh, all of the other MEPs have taken their seats, but Ireland is still counting, like... The drama. <laughs> Love it. A, f- a friend of mine a friend of mine won a seat in the local elections down in West Cork on the third recount by one vote. <gasps> the last seat in a large constituency on the third recount by one vote. Like that's entertainment. That's politics. Not for her, Love obviously. That. It's <laughs> it's <course>. unreal stress. <laughs> 
But uh, it's, for it's me, tantric. it was incredible entertainment. You you need to stop saying it's that. It's tantric. We have tantric elections. Stop it. Over there, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, love. This ain't ever happened to me before. Oh, my God. <laughs> I would like to distance myself from that comment, okay? It's good crack to watch. It is not tantric, okay? <laughs> oh, would you, do you agree, Patter? Depends. <laughs> How many counts could you go for? <laughs> I, th- I I preferred I preferred when election counts were described as Ireland's answer to Test cricket. Yeah. Oh, that's that's less crack. Yeah. I, well, I mean, it's it's good fun to watch, and it takes five days. We don't have a national sport that takes five days. Yeah, but I mean, we do have Test cricket, but nobody watches. But it's it. good fun to watch. That's the that's the difference, you know. Cricket, no crack. Watching watching a count mm. literally a tally in in a count centre in Port Leash that that the tally is still going on three days later. Let it, no one has begun counting. Like that's drama. <laughs> Love that. Make that into a net movie series. <laughs> and, and something that some, I know we, we we mentioned this in the episode we did around this year after your glorious victory, uh, Patter. We discussed the fact that during those during the count when politicians are being interviewed on the on the on the all day on the all day political coverage. You get a level of honesty from politicians that you just don't get the rest of the year. There's a kind of a, a post-coital cigarette moment of total honesty from these politicians talking about where their transfers are going, who, why people voted for them, why people didn't vote for them. It's great. Yeah, uh, it's it, it's brilliant, and it just—I'll tell you something from personal experience. It's just born out of exhaustion. Like you just you're just there going like I just I just have to tell you the truth now because I am um, <laughs> I'm shagged like it's been a long campaign and here's here's what we've done and here's what we haven't done and here's who we will transfer from I know I said we were different and I know I said we could never agree with them on anything but I really hope I get a lot of their number two votes because the voters are exactly the same mm-hmm. and and you just sort of drop the pretense and yeah it's good but uh, yeah that was a good that was a good episode I loved the title the Dublin Midwest Wing yeah, yeah it was kiss. good it was a good episode I was very proud was very nice. I was so proud of our powder. I think we all were. I think ah. you said something about um, leafy. Uh, there was something really good about Clondalkin being described as leafy that I laughed about for about three days that you couldn't eat. Oh leaves. yeah, it's Clondalkin never gets described as leafy because mm. apparently the poor eat trees. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I laughed for days at <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, great- so speaking of yeah. speaking of episodes, yeah, um, that was obviously one of my favorites for the year. But what were what were what was y'all's favorites for the year? Um, let me think of episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I I loved having Naomi Leary into the studio and mm-hmm. uh, and talking about uh, the, the again that was that was, that was another politics heavy episode we talked about where things are going with in the north. Always a great yeah, chat. Uh, she was one. She was one of the very first guests I had, and um, it was great to touch base there. And we all did a live show there. Yeah, her, I think fun. that's probably my favorite episodes that we did this year was our live shows. Um, they're always so f- much fun. It's always like we just sit in a, a hot podcast studio here um, eating Quality Street, mm-hmm. um, sort of like, you know, laughing at each other. But it's it's nice to have like the same thing. Like it just feels like we're having a chat, but there's other people watching and engaging and having fun. Like, so um, I love that. I think those are my favorite episodes because you get to meet people who listen to the show and like, uh, interact and I always think I'm fucking gas after it like I'm like Jesus Christ I'm so funny <laughs> like they eat that shit up <laughs> my, uh, my absolute favourite episode my number one episode for the year is actually our, I think it's our number one episode ever according to some podcast rankings mm. uh, it's Hot Gale Summer oh yes oh yes um, yes that was especially just for that one noise that Garrodine made yeah. when she heard some <laughs> so of the, uh, the the shit takes. We got a lot of feedback about that. that. Was, so like, I have a best friend who like 
as long as I've known her, makes these weirdo noises. And like in my immediate friend group, it's completely normal to go all the time. (laughs) Like I did it. And then loads of people emailed in and were like, yeah, I, you know, you should have given us a warning that she was going to make that sound from her soul. (laughs) And then I was like, wow, I should really stop doing that in public. It's really weird. (laughs) But I think that Hot Girl Summer and... uh, my dad Google translated was, porno were probably changed. Was that this year? Yeah. It was, oh my God, I've changed yeah, my mind. Sorry. Yeah, that's my favorite like episode. That's my favorite episode. That ago. is the funniest thing I've ever. And you, you know what? I can actually pinpoint it. There's a point in that episode where Oscar goes, that's gross. And that is the funniest <laughs> <Yeah>. thing. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, insert it. Insert that clip. Nope. He just goes, that's gross. And it's so fucking funny. Oh my God, I love it. I've listened to that maybe three times and laughed every time. It's so funny. It is. Yeah, it I, I've listened to that. We, we did a double header live in Manus, uh and we've been invited back. So they they, they, they obviously didn't hate it. So we, <laughs> we'll be doing Shocked in the Guelga 2020 in Manus, which is which is class. Great to be back in the old alma mater. But I listened to those two episodes on the regular. And, you know, there, there have very, very rarely been two more contrasting episodes. The first one was yourself and Emer using all of your expertise to tell us about how women were treated in medieval Ireland compared to how women are treated under the constitution today. And that's absolutely fantastic. And we're all pushing our glasses up our noses and going, oh, yes, 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 very good, very, very, very good. And then we took a five-minute break. We came back and and we we read a dirty book. Yeah, we did. (laughs) It was so good. Oh, man, it was really fun. Like, I really, really enjoyed it. I think you can hear how much crack we're all having, like, because... It was just great crack. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, we got a, and we got some huge, uh, we got some great online comments for that. People were talking about, you know, listening to it on the bus, like getting looks as they were laughing their heads off. And, you know, and, and, and lots of enthusiasm. People were clearly sharing it with their friends. Yeah. And that's always nice because we wanted people to know yeah. that, yes, you can have a lot of fun. Who knew all we had to do was um, make weird noises and uh, talk about dirty books? I know. And, you know. Can somebody yeah. just translate? Um, and, if, and if you haven't listened to those episodes, they're available on all good podcast providers. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's, are you all set for the Christmas? So, yes, I'm that smug prick who's like, I've been set since October, you bollocks. So, um, <laughs> yep. Also, I would like to point out that I don't have any children. So that's probably why I'm, why I'm all set for the Christmas. Well, are you all set for the Christmas, Derek? Well, that's Oh, well, sure. What? I imagine people are gonna be listening to this drink. Oh, is this Christmas? Oh, is this going yeah, out Christmas Eve? Yeah, maybe. Okay, yeah, we'll okay. see. We'll is see. Is it going out Christmas Eve? No, it's probably going out on Friday. <laughs> it's not Christmas Eve. Why would it <laughs> so, be coming that night? Look, daddy, no, no, look, you're on Chacht and Chohogan. Doesn't have the same ring to it. No, it doesn't. No, no. A nurse and Are you all set for Christmas, Pather? I am not. I'm a Christmas Eve shopper. I'm a shameless oh Christmas Eve shopper. I have one or two bought, like, um, the kid is sorted and my brother is sorted. But um, no, I'm I'm a shameless... So if you are listening to this on Christmas Eve, I'm probably mostly <laughs> sorted. If you're listening to it on the Friday before Christmas Eve, fuck no. Um, but I'll get it done at some stage. You're yeah. listening to this on Christmas Eve. Pather is currently frantically running around Arnott's. Frantic. <laughs> Dro- kicking motherfuckers in Brown Thomas's. <laughs> so, get out of my way! Um, so, guys, do, do you do you have any uh, Christmas traditions in in your neck of the woods that you're or in your family that you that you really like? So, my family do this every year, and I wasn't at home for Christmas last year, and I missed out on it, and I was gutted. Um, 
uh, we play poker on Christmas night every year. So my my dad's siblings all come around to our house and we all play poker for hours and it's great crack. Um, and I didn't realise that that wasn't like a thing that other people did until like way too late in my <laughs> life. Like I just assumed that everybody did that. Um, but my mom cooks more food and then we have like leftover sandwiches, like, you know, the turkey and... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Love that. Mom does like sausage rolls, like homemade sausage rolls. They're class. My Aunt Deirdre does valivants. Like it's it's the business. Um, so we do that Christmas Eve or Christmas night. So I love that. It's great crack. I, That's really cool. Yeah, I like that. It's a lot of fun. For the past few years, I've, I've read my daughter the night before Christmas. Uh, uh, now, obviously, we'll be reading that to two children. When uh, did you do it on Christmas Eve? I, do, I often do it a couple of nights beforehand as well, so you build up, you know, because oh, it's, uh, you know, because kids can lose attention sometimes. But now this year, unfortunately, I have to do it in accents. Accents? Because, because of Niall Horan. I've not seen that video yet. Is that what he's reading? He's reading the night before Christmas and he does a range of accents. Oh, okay. And I because, to do it. Yeah, but that, that, the expectations. So I haven't, I haven't seen it either. Is, is, Niall Horan, is Niall Horan good at accents? Listen, Niall Horan is better than people whose accents are the only things they do. And Niall Horan can also do a range of other things. This is this is the wonders of a flat yeah, yeah, accent. My question is, and this is a very serious follow up question. Yeah. If Niall Horan is good at putting on accents, why does he sound like that all the time? Rude! Discrimination! Oh. Discrimination! <laughs> Listen, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying that there's, there's a certain. There's a, there's, a, there's a certain uh, D-list Irish celebrity who does voices and does matrimonial humor, and he isn't as he isn't as good at any of those things as Nell Horan is. And Nell Horan also um, has a singing voice. Yes, he does, and he can play guitar. He's the only he one. He does of have a great singing voice. And, 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 do it. and his music, it seems he seems seems to have basically like grown up listening to his dad's album collection because yeah. he it, it's a very kind of a kind of seventy singer songwriter vibe yeah. he has. So I haven't watched that video. Yeah. The accent. Because I've heard that like it's really good, and I'm already like a little bit attracted to Nile Horn. I feel weird about it. Well, in fairness, you probably shifted him at a disco. That's, yeah, we've discussed this. I probably have shifted him, but like I don't fancy the people I shifted at the Harriers disco. Like I don't fancy them anymore. So I feel a little <laughs> weird about like being attracted to Nile Horn because like the proximity is too close. Like, um, so I don't want to watch it because then I'll really fancy him, and then I'll have to cheat on my husband Hosier, and I don't <laughs> want to do that. So. How old is Niall Horan now? I checked that. He's only a year on, younger than me. So he's 1993, I believe. Yeah. So it's not weird. Yeah, I did check that. <laughs> but Wait, Speaking of, of Christmas traditions, as we were before we got derailed, I, I don't have too many Christmas traditions. Um, we have the Wren back in Tundalk and Law and Drolin, um, but I haven't been able to take part because I'm normally traveling on, on Stevens's day. But uh, I only realized when I started going out with um, the woman who would eventually become my wife and started spending some Christmases in Louth at her place, how much my family fucking drinks at Christmas. <laughs> like, I didn't realize, like like you didn't realize that the poker game wasn't yeah. something that everyone else does. I didn't realize that, like, getting up at, you know, get up at nine or ten o'clock in the morning and go over to your aunt and uncle's house and start drinking cans before 11. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> I didn't realize that that wasn't normal. And, like, I didn't realize that, like, eight bottles of wine during dinner and then some pudding with the pudding and then cans all evening. And then your aunt and uncle come back over at about nine o'clock and repay the favor and you drink more and you eat some cheese and cold meats. And then your cousins come over at two in the morning and you basically keep her lit until the sun comes up. Yeah. I didn't realize that not everybody does that. <laughs> mm. They don't. So, um, they yeah, don't. We, we need to... We, 
We need to talk to somebody about this. I was in a sauna in Helsinki with Teresa Lynn a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about spending Christmas abroad and stuff. And she was saying that once she had spent Christmas abroad and with this particular family, they had like one drink and she was like, is that at like four o'clock? And she was like, is that it, lads? I need to start sooner and I need to be going harder at this. Like. <laughs> I do go at it awful hard. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be fond of Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the meme of the decade? What? Pint Man. What? What meme? Is Pint Man. Pint Man. Yeah, I think Pint Man. Paddy Losty. He Paddy Losty might be the meme of the decade. He, I don't know what that is. Pint Man. Basically, there was a picture from an old oh historical book. Oh my God, Guardian! How do you not know this? Okay. Sorry. So basically, there was a there was a histor- a picture from a a, 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 you know, a history of Dublin. I had a picture of this guy. You know, it's kind of a, a strong looking kind of older gentleman holding a drink in his hand, and he's Paddy Losty. is listed. He's one of Dublin's Pint Men. I said, Dublin's pint men could often drink 30 pints in a day. Oh, okay. I've just Googled it. Yes, I, ha- I yes. have seen pint man. Okay. And yeah, so he was, he would have been like, he, was, he, was, it was the glimmer man he was drinking in powder. There it is. There no, it is. no, it was um, Heinz. Ah. Heinz in uh, Stony Batter. <laughs> Sorry. He was, a, he, was a ca- he was a cattle drover mm-hmm. when they used to have the, uh, the cattle market still in Stony Batter. He used to drive cattle down the Navan Road. But he was, as they used to say in, in all, he was fond of a jar. <laughs> but, uh, was. Studies, uh, it was actually the screen grab that was used to, to make Paddy Losty world famous in Ireland um, was actually taken by John Garrity of Publin.ie. Ah. Uh, he was talking about this book about the history of Dublin pubs and it had a picture of, of Paddy Losty with a pint in his hand saying Paddy Losty, one of Dublin's great pint men, was known to drink 30 or more pints in a day on occasion. And then it just it just ballooned and people started doing recordings of what they imagined Paddy Losty sounded like and that became a meme in itself. It got so popular and so sort of pervasive that it was banned from Ireland Simpsons fans. They said no more Pint Man memes. So they went and set up their own group on Facebook and Pint Man Pint posting became a thing. And now, look, absolutely incredible. I think Ireland Simpsons fans have probably been the most influential meme group of the decade, but yeah. Pint Man is the meme of the decade for me. Yeah, I think it's, um, and it's interesting in a way that just as this decade has been bookended by um, DUP Hubris on either, on either ends, the. <laughs> The Ireland Simpsons fans group itself was formed as a splinter group because they were so unhappy with the poor standard of UK Simpsons memes. There you are. Never not at it. Never Never not not at it. it. Never not at it. But that's another thing you don't know, Garrigine, isn't it? I I don't don't know Ireland Simpsons fans. I'm sorry. (laughs) I think I'm just, that's a Facebook thing. And like also the, oh my God, what a complete Ashton group. Like I was never in that. So like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm missing out on all this internet culture. But my meme of the decade has probably been like, the Brits are always at it like that kind of like yeah. I just love that like I look it into my veins I love it never not at it but it's 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 been an interesting thing because I think one of the, uh, Britain has had a self image and what, what year did Love Actually come out? So uh, 2000 and I think it was earlier than that it might have been 2005 maybe but I think this whole idea yeah, I think that, it was earlier yeah, yeah. but this that this moment when Hugh Grant is telling off the American president and talking yeah. about all the fine things about the about, about about England specifically and Britain in general this was this is very much tied into British self-image and this this yeah. decade has really seen that collapse upon itself yeah and um, I think Naomi O'Leary when she one of the, the first time she was on the show talked about that like uh, our uh, country's self-images and and how ours was different and I thought that was just so inf- insightful and it's really interesting to see where it's going now and the self-image that's being portrayed 
particularly on the foot of the current leader that they have in the UK and how that's being perceived and possibly changing. And yeah, I think it's uh, it's interesting to see that development. Yeah, if you'd asked someone at the start of the decade, like, what are your thoughts on the UK? They'd be like, oh yeah, fish and chips, cup of tea. They love queuing, lots of rain. And then, you know, you ask them, like, what are your thoughts on the, de- on the UK now, 2019? You go like, ooh, an uncomfortably high level of racism and a real frustrated sense of post-imperial want. <laughs> okay, but I am going to ask you both an important question, which uh, will bring us to the end of this uh, special episode. Your Irish word of the decade. Oh, God, you didn't prepare us for this. Sorry, <laughs> our prick. Father, Lana Reich, I have to think of one. Um, feigning has to be feigning. We, it, this was the decade we became the selfie generation. And, you know, initially it was mooted that it should be feign fic, but the people have spoken. It is absolutely feigning. And that's the word for it. And that, I mean, like I could pick, I could be self-aggrandizing here and say pop-up Gwelthacht is the word of the decade, but no, it's got to be feigning. Uh, and it is just, it just encapsulates how alive and how vibrant the Irish language is. Like the dictionary folk said, we have, we have a term for this phenomenon and Irish speakers everywhere, just as one voice just went, nah, we're good. We have another one. I love it. And I think so. That was then Fainfic was the first tweet from the Irish for but feigning obviously is, is where it is. Do you want to ask card to you? Uh, I was actually going to go with um, probably, and um, this is probably on brand for me, I'm going to go with Bunracht um, because mm. I just love the Bunracht. And it's been for me, the last 10 years have been about kind of getting involved in activism and realising um, my... I suppose in Ireland itself, when you talk about self-image, um, a, a colleague of, of mine is, is French and she talks about when she first arrived from France, you know, Irish people were really bad at protesting and like grassroots movements were not a thing here. And then she said it started with the water protests uh, that she saw this sort of like Frenchness nearly in the way that people were reacting. And then uh, it sort of developed and, and people got better at it, this grassroots movement thing uh, as it related to the constitution. And I think for me, that's been a, a lot of, of my identity over the last, you know, 10 years. Um, uh, I have one tattoo on my body that I got in the last 10 years and it was related to the constitution. And yeah, it's been, so I think Bunracht is probably uh, what I would think. And uh, that's really cheesy, but I don't care. That's good. And I was going to say looked. It sounds like mouse, but no, looked a people, a group of people, looked Lanuna, looked Aish, looked out. Uh, a bunch of people have something in common. And that has been maybe one of my enduring memory of this decade. You know, this uh, I guess, a sense of unity among others, going mm-hmm. the same thing, receiving, um, watching things together, protesting together, walking together, being yeah. together. That's cute. That's a good place to end it. I think so. The yeah, entire it means that we can give a proper shout out to the Luch as yeah, you say, yes. because we definitely couldn't make this podcast without the listeners. Um, it's been it's been absolutely brilliant, and hopefully it will continue to be because it's it's all it's all for you ourselves. It is indeed. We just love we just love that you invite us into your headphones. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, you know, we do this mostly because we enjoy it, but like. You know, I've met a bunch of people, friends, I've made friends with you guys and then other people from the show and like got great opportunities on foot of this. And like, I'm really grateful for the fact that people care enough to listen and that I was invited to be on the show. 
Ew, this is getting very cute. I can't go. No, we it, we could not. I think everyone everyone who's been involved in in this show has has created such a such a massive part of it. Kirsten with her artwork, of course. Um, Clodo with her with her insight into Irish dancing and mm-hmm. being a student and a young person studying Irish being at this youthful. time. Yeah, yeah is so young studying Irish at a time when while we're we're kind of well, it's being discussed by people twice her age right. by people people who deign to tell her it's alive. And from Ola, from her experience of of speaking Irish from being involved in writing Liffa from Patter from all his activism and his knowledge and from Shuin when she comes when she's been, been on the episode she's been on talking about Irish literature so much so Emer with her incredible knowledge of the older Irish and I'm just so grateful to be a part of this that you've all allowed me to come along on this journey with you all thanks pod dad thanks for being our yeah, pod, thanks, dad. pod dad Nolakona yeah, guys and to the listenership as well and our, our, our lovely listeners Nolakona Eve yeah Nolakona Eve Galeer because Aveline Fui Hain because Fui Washa catch in Fihe Fihe oh no unable to record during call what Oh, balls. Um, hmm. <laughs> this is the guy who was on radio show, yes. Yeah, you can't see Brian's face. I wish you could. <laughs> why, 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 why won't you record during a call? I don't understand. You can't record on the same device as you make the call? You can't record on the same device as you make the call. <laughs> so if you How sh- the fuck do you do this all the time, Gary? I have a dictaphone. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to delete this one I was doing and I am now recording. Okay, good job, Dad. Well done with the phone and the technology. <laughs> you did great. I'm really proud of you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Miss Dictaphone. <laughs> Miss, I don't have to deal with technology because I live in the 1980s. <laughs> this has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. What? What meme? <laughs>